This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the North East. Hello and welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. The legend of King Arthur is perhaps the best known story to come down to us from the Middle Ages. Many people would be able to give you a broad outline of King Arthur's career, or at least a few choice details. His castle, maybe, Camelot. His sword, Excalibur, and perhaps the name of his wife, Guinevere, and her lover, the knight, Sir Lancelot. But although Arthur does not appear on any list of British or English kings, some people say there must be a kernel of truth behind the legend, and that a real Arthur must once have existed and inspired the legends that come down to us. In this episode of Castle Stories, we're going to take a look at where the legend of King Arthur came from and how it developed through the medieval period to give us our idea of the perfect, chivalrous king. Arthur is one of the kings that almost everyone could name, and working in a castle, he comes up a surprising amount, which is ironic, given that there is no definitive evidence that he ever existed at all. Nevertheless, many people, including many historians, are convinced that there really was a historical Arthur. What is the evidence for that? The earliest evidence we have for Arthur is from a 6th century Welsh poem from Scotland. Confusing? Well, in the 500s, there were loads of Welsh-speaking British kingdoms in what is now Northern England and Southern Scotland, and they produced a lot of poetry about heroic warriors. The poem in question is called The Gododin, named for the kingdom based around Edinburgh and the Lothian region, and it speaks of their warriors in battle against the Saxon English in what is now Northumberland and North Yorkshire. One of these warriors was named Cunan, who we are told fed ravens on the walls of the fortress, though he was no Arthur. And that's it. So what does this tell us? Well, Arthur was the name of a renowned warrior. However tough Cunan was, he was no Arthur. Also, Arthur was well known in northern Britain in the late 6th century. That's not much to go on. The next mention of Arthur is not until the 9th century, when a Welsh monk called Nennius, piling up a heap of information he could find on the history, legends and wonders of Britain, listed 12 battles that Arthur was supposed to have fought in. He said that Arthur was the leader in battle of the British kings, although he himself was not a king. So, one of the earliest sources of information about King Arthur is pretty clear that he was not a king. Um, he was a soldier. This lack of information about Arthur is compounded by the fact that the actual historical sources of the period he's supposed to have lived in, roughly between 400 and 600 of the Common Era, don't mention him at all. The only contemporary source to his life, or, or near it, is by a monk called Gildas, which mentions one of those battles in Nennius's list, Badon Hill, but doesn't mention Arthur. Sadly, Gildas wasn't actually writing history. He was writing a rather nasty diatribe about how awful British kings were in his own day. So he isn't exactly a reliable source. He's the Daily Mail of the 6th century. Bede, the famous historian from Jarrow, comes a bit later, but largely copies Gildas for this piece of history. So he doesn't mention Arthur either which puts us in a bit of a bind as far as proving 
Arthur's historical existence. If he did exist, he's likely to have been a Romano-British soldier who helped British leaders fight off the Saxons, the Picts, and the Scots in the period after the official Roman withdrawal from Britain. Some historians even think he was based somewhere up on Hadrian's Wall, and the earliest mention of him is from Northern poetry, so he might even have visited us right here in Newcastle. Well, Pons Aelius anyway. A lot of Welsh folkloric stories survive from a slightly later era, which portray Arthur as the leader of a band of magical warriors with superpowers who fight giants, but these are unlikely to be particularly linked to the historical figure. One tantalising bit of evidence is that the name Arthur, previously pretty much unknown, becomes popular in the 6th century among kings and princes, which implies that perhaps there was a famous Arthur who they were all named after. Though, whether this Arthur was real, mythical, or somewhere in between, we just can't say for sure. So why did the stories about this obscure, possibly historical figure become so popular? We can talk much more confidently about that, because it's all down to the work of one author, a Welsh churchman called Geoffrey of Monmouth. In about 1135, he wrote a medieval bestseller called The History of the Kings of Britain, in which he elaborated, and outright invented, a vast history for Britain stretching back to the giant Albion and the invasion by Brutus of Troy. He dedicates a huge amount of space in his work to the figures of Merlin and Arthur, and in fact, he's the first author to ever connect these two characters, who originally come from separate uh, traditions of stories. It's difficult to overestimate the influence that Geoffrey had, and although a lot of his fellow scholars dismissed him as a total fantasist, his history was widely copied and influenced historians until well after the Middle Ages. The broad outline of Arthur's career comes from Geoffrey's work, but it was the authors who came after him who made Arthur the literary superstar of the Middle Ages. The aristocracy of Norman England loved Arthur and thrilled to the tales of the adventures of his knights. Troubadours, knowing where the money was, composed and wrote huge numbers of Arthurian romances over the 12th, 13th and 14th centuries, adding in new characters, expanding on the backstories of others and adding in new concepts all the time. The Round Table first appears in a poem by a man named Wace, written in 1155, closely following Geoffrey. Excalibur derives from the Welsh name Caledvulch, which means hard smiter, and appears in the 12th century with reference to Arthur. He also had a ship, by the way, called Pridwen, and a spear called Ron. The Sword and the Stone first appears in a work by Robert de Boron around 1200, and a poet called Chrétien first seems to have invented the heroic knight Sir Lancelot. The legend of the Holy Grail also starts to play an important part derived from the Welsh tale of Peridir, and various other legendary kings like Mark of Cornwall and Uriens of Reged start to appear in Arthurian crossovers. Basically, the Matter of Britain, as it was called, was the medieval equivalent of something like the Marvel Universe a shared setting for stories of magic and adventure with a familiar cast of characters who could be reinvented by each author according to their needs, and into which 
original characters, or even characters from other cycles of stories, could be inserted. There was also famously the Matter of France, which dealt with legends about Charlemagne and his knights, the Paladins, but this was more like the DC movie universe, a slightly less successful version of the Arthurian cycle. Now, a lot of these stories, despite being set in Britain, hence the name Matter of Britain, were written by French troubadours, in French, for a French-speaking English aristocracy, and actually were popular right across Europe. Several churches and cathedrals in Italy contain mosaics or stone carvings of Arthurian stories. The French-speaking English aristocracy, the Normans, sort of culturally appropriated these stories from the Welsh in the first place. For the Welsh, Arthur seems to have been an early legendary hero who fought against the encroaching English, or Saxons, in the days after the Romans left Britain to her own defences. But by the end of the Middle Ages, in the 15th century, this had been comprehensively forgotten. It was in the 1400s that the greatest and most memorable version of all of the Arthurian legends was accomplished. Not by a monk or scholar, but by a knight, who wrote all these stories down while in prison for armed robbery. This not very chivalrous knight was Sir Thomas Mallory of Newbold Revel, and he wrote in English, adapting French stories in many cases for the first time. He also explicitly calls Arthur the King of England for the first time, and it's from his work that the famous inscription on the sword in the stone, whosoever pulls this sword from this stone and anvil is rightwise true King of England, comes from. His work is also unique in that he attempts to include pretty much every Arthurian story that he's ever heard into one huge epic covering Arthur's birth and coronation all the way down to his death. Indeed, the work is called Le Mort d'Arthur, or The Death of Arthur. Weirdly, it has a French title, despite the work itself actually being in English. This work, too, was immensely popular, a bestseller, and was, in fact, one of the first books ever to be printed in English by William Caxton in the 1480s. It was written at the time of the Wars of the Roses and the death of English chivalry in a welter of blood at hideous battles like Towton, and it harked back to an imagined age when knights were loyal and true, and kings were powerful but just. Mallory made Arthur an elegy for what he saw as the passing of the golden age of chivalry, which he could contrast with his own increasingly brutal world. In doing so, he wrote the version of the Arthurian legends which is still the best known to many people, and which has been endlessly interpreted and updated. This is perhaps the strength of the Arthurian stories. It has little to do with whether or not there was a real King Arthur living in the 6th century and fighting the Saxons. It has more to do with the way in which these stories can be retold and reinterpreted to fit with new times. The Victorians were great fans of King Arthur, and the poet laureate Tennyson famously wrote his epic poem The Idols of the King. And to the Victorians, Arthur and the Arthurian stories presented an image of idealised social order ruled over by a benevolent Christian king, immune from the social turmoil actually seen in Victorian society. In the 20th century, T.H. White wrote The Sword in the Stone and several follow-up books, which reworked Mallory into a screed against fascism and totalitarianism. He saw in Arthur an idealistic but ultimately doomed effort to build a society built on justice instead of might making right. And in the modern day, 
gritty historical takes have become popular. These takes on Arthur look at him as a tragic figure, fighting the inevitable downfall of civilization and the encroachment of barbarism. There may not have been a real King Arthur, or perhaps there was. Um, you can uh, email me in at info at newcastlecastle.co.uk and let me know your thoughts on the matter. But I hope that gives you a bit of an introduction to the stories of King Arthur and why they became so universally popular in the medieval period. That's all for this episode, but I hope to see you back in a few weeks when George will be talking about booze in medieval England. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk.